On this week's Empire Podcast, we get our washboard tasty abs out, steady Helen, and discuss Magic Mike. We seek the end of the world as we know it with Kira Knightley and Steve Carell, but we feel fine. Bobcat Goldthwaite pops in to say God bless America, and we talk about the sheer majesty of Total Recall. No, not that one. The other one. Hello, Pod. I'm Chris Hewitt, and you're listening to the Empire Podcast, the only film podcast that leads an exciting double life. By day, we're a film podcast. By night, we don tights and a mask and cruise the streets of London. Fighting crime? Sure. Why not? Let's stick to that. Anyway, let's welcome three Empire writers without whom I wouldn't be able to say, let's welcome three Empire writers. I always start by introducing Empire's Queen Geek, the Prime Minister of Nerds, the Supreme Chancellor of Fanboys, Helen O'Hara, and why break from tradition now? Hello, Helen. Hello. I, that's a lot of titles that I'm going to have to now... You've been promoted. Li- live, ...live up to, yes. Think of the pay rise. Woohoo! You get a lot more money being the Supreme Chancellor of Fanboys. That sounds great. This <laughs> is awesome, isn't it? Okay. All right. A man who spent so much time shadowing Chris Nolan for our Dark Knight Rises coverage that Emma Thomas began to ask questions, but it was all perfectly innocent, honest. Please welcome to the pod booth, Dan Jolin Nolan. How are you, Dan? Hello. (laughs) Was that your Batman voice? Was that your Chris Nolan impression? It was terrible. Yes. (laughs) Do people know, do you think, that Emma Thomas is is Chris Nolan's partner? Uh, If they don't, they do now. Okay. Yes. Producing partner and partner in love. Ooh. Aw. Next up, a man whose love of art house cinema is so indelible... He has subtitles tattooed on his chin. What have you got this week, Phil? I've got the entire script of The Artist on my face, Chris. Including <laughs> 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 story current. Including storyboards. I quite, I quite like that. Yeah, yeah. storyboarding <laughs> on my neck. Storyboards in your eyelids. It just makes me sound really weird, like some kind of <laughs> middle-class Maori. Yeah, let's move on. <laughs> that was, of course, Phil DeSimlin. And uh, before we get on the tricky business of telling Hollywood how to do their jobs, let's hear from you guys on the other side of the booth. Uh, some talking points this week, people. Uh, at Stevie Man Muppet asks, Why can't Spider-Man keep his identity a secret? He's always showing off with no mask on, the fool. Yeah, I thought he kept taking his mask off for no reason in this film. I kept sort of mentally kind of cringing until he put it back on. I was really worried for him. <laughs> Why, just in case something hit him in the so face see, or someone saw him? or see him and... You know, then where would he be? The thing I was worried about in that film was when he uh, he gets his powers on the subway train and he's just gallivanting around being all spidery on the subway and, you know, there's cameras and stuff. And surely, Nobody puts it together. The, the cops are stupid. Pretty much. They're stupid in this film. Well, they also ignored the lizard on the bridge in favour of the small guy <laughs> in the blue and red costume, so hey. It's, it's true, though. It's a good point because... The lizard on the bridge. Kick-Ass made a thing of, you know, the, the, we're in the YouTube age now and everybody's got camera phones. And how does a superhero work in that environment? Yeah, precisely. No one else has decided to you run also, with that you idea. Also have to but remember that, that people in, in comic book movies are just overwhelmingly stupid. I mean, no one's put the Batman Bruce Wayne thing together apart from obviously that guy. In a, there was that guy. In, he worked it all in the out. Dark Knight. He did. Yeah. He did. And then yeah. Morgan Freeman stared him down. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Lois Lane is the worst investigative journalist in the history of 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 well, mankind and Krypton kind. It's ridiculous. I think the idea is if you've paid you know hundreds of million, hundreds of thousands or millions of dollars for some really gorgeous person to appear in your movie I guess you should get your money's worth mm. um, uh, that said you know uh, the new Judge Dredd movie we've got the very gorgeous Carl Urban keeping his hat on the whole time so it can be done um, and I think sometimes you know we still see Andrew Garfield in the movie I just think he could have maybe kept his mask on a little bit more I'm speaking of um, Batman as well the, the, the Nolan Batmans yeah uh, you know there hasn't been a sequence where Batman suddenly feels an urge to rip off his mask at the end of Batman Begins. Or no, they're Dark very Night. specific about on. that. Yeah, they're actually very specific about that um, in in the sense that Batman is always Batman. There's no kind of half and half. 
um, you know, it's Bruce Wayne's head, Batman's body kind of thing. I don't think there's a single scene, although there may be... I'm just going by memory here. I don't think there's a single scene, yes, in, in either of the previous two films where mm. he walks around wearing the suit without the the, hell, the cowl. Although you see him, obviously, in his armour early in Batman yeah, yeah. Begins, and you don't actually see him as Batman until an hour in, yeah. um, which is a good way of getting around that. But they split the time quite, quite, quite evenly between Bruce Wayne and Batman in the Nolan movies. But I just seem to remember that... Um in the, uh, in the Tim Burton and Joel Schumacher films there seemed to be always some sort of flimsy excuse at the end and same with the Spider-Man movies the mm-hmm. Raimi Spider-Man movies there always seemed to be a flimsy excuse for him to take off his mask oh my mask's on fire oh we've got to take it off <laughs> hello I'm Tobey Maguire everyone <laughs> hey you know so kudos to uh, David Prowse who yeah. I think his physical performance as Darth Vader is is massively underrated everyone's like James Earl Jones and, you know, he got dubbed over and, but you know that first moment when Darth Vader walks in puts his hands on his hips and looks a bit disappointed like a kind of <laughs> slight, a slightly annoyed headmaster. Every child knows exactly who he is, that he's the bad guy, that he's the leader of the bad guys and that you don't mess with him. David yep, Prowse yep. nailed that physical performance. Absolutely, he certainly did. And going back to Dread, Helen, mm. you mentioned to Carl Urban, I mean, you know, an actress vanity. Stallone, you know, mm. famously said, you know, I can't do a whole film with a, with a mask on. People want to mm. see me. They want to see my face. But Carl Urban, no, none of that. And personally, I would rather see Carl Urban's face than Sylvester Stallone's. And yet, I'm still on board with his decision to keep the mask on. How do you feel about just a little bit of the chin? Well, it's a nice chin. <laughs> <laughs> so there you go, Stevie Man Muppet. Uh, I think we've solved that one. And of course, you know, we may not answer that specific question on our special Spider-Man spoiler podcast, but we damn near answer everything else. So download it now or suffer the consequences. Consequences? There, there are no consequences. Okay. You, you can do whatever you want, honestly. Um, at Grudge Reinhold, who has one of the best Twitter names I've, I've heard recently, asks, what's a favourite film that you like that everyone else dislikes? For me, it's Godzilla 98. I think it means the year, not the, the name, number of the film, but yeah. Mm. Do you have one? I, I like a lot of films that any sensible person would consider, you know, by any rational standard, bad. <laughs> um, sure. Such as? Well, I have a, a, a medical condition that causes me to watch Sister Act every time it's on TV. Oh, I've heard about that. Yeah, it's really pretty debilitating. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, so, yeah, that would that would probably be one. I don't want to watch it. I just can't quite turn the channel when it's on. That's terrible. What about Sister Act 2? Oh, no, Sister Act 2 as well. Yeah, totally. Although you've kind of got to skip to the end there because the, the, you know, the, the bit at the end is, is quite good. with the, the end? The ridiculous rap song with the, with the dungarees, <laughs> remember? About God. It's brilliant. I think I've blocked this out of my memory. <laughs> I'll, I'll be honest. Uh, Dan, you were racking your brains about this earlier on. Yeah, I was. You? I was. I'm going to actually settle on Alien 3. Okay. I actually, I actually once uh, told Fincher, David Fincher, this. I said, I actually like Alien, Alien Three. Did you say it in those terms? I, yeah. yeah, yeah, I do. Hey, David Fincher, I do. I actually like one of your hey, films. Fincher, yeah. And he told me off. Why? <laughs> he had a go at me. He was like, No, no, you're wrong. <laughs> it's not a good movie. It's, it's not what the series deserved. Right. Um, you know, he was really, really, I was like really kind of, you know, I thought, oh, you know, I'm going to tell him I like Alien 3 and he's going to be like, oh, hey, you're the guy, you like it, let's be friends. But no. <laughs> let's go have dinner with yeah. Chris Nolan. <laughs> let's go, let's hang out. <laughs> let's be chums. <laughs> um, no, no, so actually, but I gen- absolutely genuinely, it was, it was the weekend it came out, it was opening weekend, went to see it at the, whatever it was, the 
Canon Cinema in Sidcup or whatever, and uh, and I, it blew me away. I mean, you know, I, I was vaguely aware that it had been a troubled production, but um, I, when, I can't remember how old it I was. It actually teenager. blew you away. Alien 3 blew it, you away. Absolutely. I just sat there and it was just like, oh my God, she's got, oh, she's got one inside. Spoilers. She's got one yes. inside her and oh, she killed herself at the end. Whoa. You know, it blew my mind. Wow. Mm. And then, uh, bad review, bad mm. review, bad review. Like, What's going on here? Am I the only guy in the world? I was still evolving. Okay. Into the Dan Jolin that I am now. All right, you were you were you were chest brusher Dan. I was or, what? Were you chest brusher Dan or face hugger Dan at that point? Or, or I, I, having seen Prometheus, I couldn't tell you. I've no idea anymore. <laughs> Had you ingested any black goo? Right, let's talk about it. Let's just draw well, down. Draw down. You shared moving, DNA, should we say? Moving swiftly on, yes. uh, Phil. Um, I'm someone that thinks that there's no bad Michael Caine movie. So the, there I is, and there are. I know. Well, I disagree. I'll watch well, any I of them. Disagree back. I'll watch, which one, which one? I'll watch Swarm 2 if there was one. <laughs> Swarm, yeah. Um, I, I love The Eagle Has Landed. I don't think anyone says it's a bad film, but no. I don't know there's much love for it, but I love it. And it's yeah. on TV every bank holiday. And this year there's been about 74 bank holidays, so I've watched it a lot. Larry Hagman gets shot right in the head in that. Yeah, I know. That's what I remember. Who's on JR? Yeah, exactly. Uh, uh, a German. She, Mikey Jimson, wasn't it? <laughs> <laughs> Well, my love of, of crappy comedies that nobody likes leads me to probably either Deuce Bigelow, European Gigolo, uh, or, which is genuinely hilarious. Don't make uh, me he bitch man slap. Oh, absolutely. Uh, it's just really, really quotable. There's this, yeah. there's this wonderful thread uh, throughout the film where Eddie Griffin uh, keeps getting accused of, he keeps being implicated in, in, in incriminating situations where he's, you know, where people have died and he just happens upon them but he happens upon them in, in quite quite a gay fashion and so the, the the news keeps reporting about this gay serial killer that's going around and he keeps trying to you know untangle himself from this and I just always remember this there's one news report that goes in his gayest murder yet it <laughs> just, <laughs> just destroys me um, also I have a very soft spot uh, for Josie and the Pussycats oh well no there's, there's like at least two or three good jokes in that yeah the Backdoor Lovers song yeah. is amazing. It's yeah. absolutely incredible. It's very, very good. It's very, the soundtrack's excellent. Well, who, who couldn't? Who wouldn't fall in love with Rachel Lee Cook in that film? She's she's gorgeous. Little ray of sunshine. You, you didn't fall in love with Rosario Dawson in that well, film. Well, that was a given. Oh, okay. That was a given. But Rachel Lee is she Cook. jealous? Who? Rosario. I don't know. We don't we don't keep in touch anymore. Okay. Since the restraining order. <laughs> I know. She was so insistent. Hmm. Whilst we're on the subject, just very quickly, because this is a great topic, and I think everyone's got films that they love that the world disagrees with them on. But um, apart from Happy Gilmore, are there any Adam Sandler films that yes, you right. love? Oh right, okay, Punch Drunk Love. Punch Drunk Love. Apart from, apart from, <laughs> you mean, you mean love. Like, apart from the apart credible from one. The credible yeah, one. Apart from the really good from, one. You mean to have like a Happy Madison film rather than a Happy Madison film? Season. Yeah, because I'm quite, yeah, I quite like the Zohan. Yeah, got to be honest, that made me laugh quite a lot of times. You know, the thing about twice. Adam Sandler films, apart from his recent movies like Grown Ups and Just Go With It and Jack and Jill, uh, Jack oh. and Jill. Uh, actually, uh, last my boy gone, that was a kicking in the states, but I, I, I laughed quite a lot of it. it. There are some jokes there that are genuinely clever. You've got to think about Andy Sandler. People are prejudging. That's not Andy Sandberg. It was the the, the Sandler stuff made me laugh. Uh, people are prejudging it based on Sandler and his track record. But if you actually go and see it with an open mind, and bear in mind, I like you speak a little European gigolo. <laughs> there are some. Really genuinely clever jokes in there, and there's some really horrible, crass ones, and there's sexist jokes and homophobic jokes and racist jokes. You ignore those, and there's some really, really good ones. <laughs> but I always think that there's, you, there are genuinely funny moments, usually in 
almost every single Adam Sandler film. Mr. Deeds is terrible. But Hang there's on. A, there's I a, watched Jack and Jill on the plane recently. <laughs> but now, the one, the one joke in that yeah. that's in any way acceptable. The Pacino one? No, it's the sight. Well, that's okay. But it's the sight <laughs> of Johnny Depp wearing a Justin Bieber t-shirt. <laughs> that's the joke. Okay. That's the one joke. I've just spoiled that movie but for you. Not you. Like I apologize. The, the Duncan stuff and all the, you know, the bits where, you know, it, it was, she says to him, <laughs> you know, I thought you'd have more than one Oscar. And he goes, you surprisingly, you'd, yeah, no. you'd think. <laughs> you'd think. Yeah. That's good stuff. It's very self-aware stuff. Okay, that one joke, but, but it, the rest of the Pacino stuff, bad. I'm, t- I'm talking early Sandler. I'm talking like, oh, you well, know, I'm talking, I'm talking like, you know, Little Nicky, Mr. D. Yeah, there's funny bits in those. That's, there's really funny bits. It's usually like one absolutely devastatingly funny joke in the, in, in amongst this morass of crap. That was Adam Sandler. <laughs> <laughs> that was fun. There you go. What have we decided? Everything. Hooray! Well okay. Uh, at Enclo asks, what's the most you've ever spent on a collectible? I think for me it would be, I, at Comic-Con a couple of years ago, I got some Pixar art prints, mm. um, which were gorgeous. And the prettiest one was from Up, and it shows the oh. balloon in the clouds, and it's kind of sunset. And that, that, was that, a, that was about $180. Oh! Yep. That's why I didn't buy it. I just, <laughs> I just remember go. why I didn't buy it. Uh, okay, that's, that is a good one. Uh, Dan? I bought this. Uh, it wasn't actually. It was is an Inception poster, but it was uh, one designed by you know by the Olimos kind of thing. You yeah, know yeah. that kind of uh, an illustrator has come up with their own poster for Inception, which was really cool. And that was about seventy five quid. Wow. Okay. Um, mm. Very nice. It's kind of like that sounds good. Heads, heads as mazes, but there's heads inside heads inside heads, and the number of heads there are are the number of levels of reality that there are in Inception, and in the centre, it's a little spinning top. Very clever. Yeah. Is it all upside down? Have you hung it upside down? Well, it's, 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 it's one head's the right way up, and the one's upside down, and one's the right way up, and one's up. I got one similar, actually, last year for Mean Streets, which I did get framed. Um, so that was quite expensive, but it's really cool. Define expensive. What we well, the framing and the poster, oh, I don't know, it's about 100 and something quid, Yeah, I guess. So it's kind of expensive, but it's beautiful. I love it. It's a candle, and it's just the man flickering as the wick. The wick? The flame. Yeah. Well, at Enclo added on her tweet uh, that she was trying to justify spending $140 on an Avengers collectible. <gasps> do it, well. do it. Do it. Do you think do it? Because I think I, do. On, well, well, well hang on. Okay, I want you to, Chris, to reflect for a moment. Yeah. A couple of years ago, you went to Comic-Con. Yeah. And you saw that Galactus. Yeah. And you loved it a lot. I did. But it was quite expensive. Shut up, Dan. And you didn't buy it. David Fisher wanted to shut up. And you are still talking about not having bought that Galactus. It, it is one of the big regrets of my life. <laughs> shut up, Dan. Seriously. Are you wishing the same fate on Enclave? No, I'm not. I, I, I strongly urge you to. At, at Comic-Con, it was sold out. In fairness, I yeah. couldn't buy it then. But then, seriously, Dan, I will punch you in the face. If I had my 19-inch Galactus action figure here, I would, I'd be able to reach across the desk and hit you with it. But I don't. Uh, I saw it in Forbidden Planet, because we uh, Empire, <coughs> we work right next door to Forbidden Planet on Shaftesbury Avenue in London. Um, I was in there like a year ago, and they had this 19-inch Galactus action figure that I'd missed at Comic-Con, and it was 75 quid. And, you know, I don't buy a lot of collectibles because I don't earn a lot of money. So, therefore, I don't have a lot of, you know, so I don't I do not do that sort of stuff. But this called to me, and I spent the whole day on and iron about it. And then at six o'clock, I went, you know what? Screw it, I'm going to go buy it. And someone had beat me to it by 10 minutes. Yeah. So I think we've learned something here today. I think we learned that, something that was, What have we that learned? That was then? almost Shakespeare. The Helen's bought the Galactus. <laughs> <laughs> I learned. Uh, uh, yeah, I mean, there's there's an important moral. You know, if you want a 19 inch Eater of Worlds. <laughs> 
to grace the foot of your bed. When you say when you say wherever, nineteen inch, like a, it just, you it sounds just seize tawdry. the moment. Seize the moment. It's like Fifty Shades of Galactus. It just <laughs> Carpe sounds, Galactus. <laughs> Carpe Galactus. Absolutely. Brian Dugan of Manchester emails in to ask when talking to people. It doesn't ask. He says when talking to people about film, I usually ask them if they like Harold and Maud. If the answer is they do not like it then I could be quite certain I should not be talking to them do you have any films that you would use for social screening purposes oh and do you like Harold and Maud <laughs> yes <laughs> <laughs> he does say he won't subscribe or listen to the podcast again if we said no so oh, okay. obviously we're going to say yes yes, yes. We, we do no, and also we, my mum is, my mum is yes. Maud so yeah I, I'm I'm predisposed to like it so there we go not in the film she wasn't Maud in the film I was going to say no but her name is Maud okay okay so. moving on sorted out um, Dan do you have any films that you would use for social screen purposes this reminds me of Quentin Tarantino and when he famously said that he used to show Rio Bravo to prospective girlfriends and if they didn't like it he would just kick them to the curb Brazil yeah 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 I'd say Brazil have you done this before no, have you, have no, you no, shown no, people no, a film and then if they don't like it you just hide them under your bed no no not to be honest I, I've, I've yet to show anyone that film who didn't like it really yeah Okay, interesting. Uh, I don't really have one. I mean, I, 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 I used to take a little leaf out of, of um, uh, Tarantino's book and, and show prospective girlfriends a Shawshank Redemption because I think showing films Mel Rape in them is always good for getting people on side in a romantic context. What the hell yeah, was I thinking maybe. of? But yeah, yeah. Uh, and if they didn't like it. But then who doesn't like the Shawshank Redemption? Well, that's it. That's one of the things I've noticed. Like if you look on um, dating websites, for example, everyone says they like the Shawshank Redemption. It doesn't narrow it down at all. I, I, I tend to not so much judge people on whether they like the films I like as make sure that they've had an opportunity to see the films that I like by sitting them down and making them watch things like The Princess Bride and His Girl Friday and, and even in some cases there Sister are people right. out there who haven't seen Star Wars it's appalling but it's true thanks to everyone who sent in questions for us this week uh, sorry if we didn't get around to yours but do keep trying the best way to get in touch with us is via email which is podcast at empireonline.com or twitter where we're at empire magazine do follow us if you like movie news and incredibly bad jokes oh and do use the hashtag empire podcast to draw our attention do not and I can't stress this enough wait outside our offices and throw balls of scrunched up paper with questions written on them in blood at us digital is so much more civilised you can also use the same methods to enter our weekly competition last week we offered two listeners a chance to win signed Killer Joe posters signed by the movie's director William Friedkin the question was name Gene Hackman's character in The French Connection and the answer was of course Popeye Doyle some people actually gave his first name as well which is Jimmy Popeye Doyle uh, didn't necessarily help you but your thoroughness is impressive the winners are Gary Wallace and Robert Kelly congratulations to you both thanks Dan <laughs> we should do that more often applause yeah Okay. Think, yeah, if Dan has a cogent thought, we should applaud it. <laughs> well, not that often then. <laughs> Yay! I just had a cogent thought. <laughs> well done, Dan. Give him a sweep. This week's prize offers you the chance to win three amazing genius of Hitchcock books produced by the BFI to tie in with their stunning Hitchcock season, currently taking place down in the South Bank here in London. To stand a chance of winning, answer this week's ridiculously easy question, which is What was Alfred Hitchcock's last film? There you go. Ooh, Simple. Transformers the movie. Give him a sweet. He's had another cogent thought. Uh, send us your answers along with your name and postal address to the addresses I've just mentioned. Uh, coming up, we're going to delve into the week's movie news. Lucky old week's movie news. Okay, now it's time for me to go full Hugh Edwards. Don't worry, I won't do the voice. And talk about the week's movie news. Helen, 
What's got you standing outside the fictional doors of 10 Downing Street of film this week? <laughs> and it's a bit tortured. It's we'll a little bit yeah, tortured. Little yeah. tortured. Um, I, to be honest, it was quite a quiet news week. Um, uh, but the thing that got me most excited all week yeah. um, was the fact that uh, Who Framed Roger Rabbit is coming out on Blu-ray. Oh, um, which is terrific news because it's a terrific film and uh, and it hasn't been on Blu-ray before. It took a very long time, I remember, to get to DVD as well. So, hooray for high def. Uh, thanks, thanks, Helen, for that, that riveting news story. Shut up. Uh, <laughs> let's go live to Phil now, who's standing outside a dilapidated art house cinema somewhere in the former Yugoslavia. Phil. Yes. Uh, what's playing on the old black and white sitting in newsreels there? Raging Bull 2 we talked about a few weeks ago uh, with William Forsyth playing the older Jake LaModa. Um, that was that is in production and we, we were quite... I think our conclusion talking here was that it's a bit... Mm, but it'll be probably, you know, if not straight to DVD, then pretty close to that and, and, and won't really tarnish the legacy of that great film. Uh, MGM think otherwise and they've come forward and slapped a big old lawsuit down really and they've claimed they've named um, Jake LaModa as the as the uh, defendant I think defendant Helen you're a legal expert is defendant the right term or claimant or uh, defendant defendant yeah he's the one who has to defend himself from this sequel which is uh, they're claiming they want damages in an amount sufficient to punish Raging Bull 2's defendants and deter those who would knowingly seek to profit from similar actions and I think what they mean by that is they are passing off on on Martin Scorsese's masterpiece to make a kind of jobbing jobbing tawdry cash-in sequel and I think their real problem is that it's called Raging Bull 2 if it was called something else I don't think it would be an issue they are claiming that Raging Bull 2 is publicly Associating the sequel with the original and uh, plainly intending to cause and create confusion in the marketplace. Now, again, I don't have great legal knowledge, but I think passing off is quite difficult to prove. In this case, probably less so. But i honestly not sure quite how that's going to pan out. Uh, but Helen, mm. they have a point, don't they? Uh, yes, I think the, the name is the problem. If it was called, you know, Jake LaMotta, the continuing story, I don't think anyone would, would think twice about it. Uh, but if you're calling it Raging Bull 2, that's a, that's a slightly different matter. This reminds me of the story from a few couple of months ago, I don't think we covered in the podcast, about this company. I can't remember their, their, their name, but uh, effectively they've declared their intention to make Evil Dead 4 without the cooperation of Sam Raimi, Robert Tappert, Bruce Campbell, or Renaissance Films, because they claim... And it, uh, Helen, again, as our legal expert, you can probably back, back <laughs> me up on this one. They claim that Sam Raimi gave an interview that's printed in uh, an Evil Dead uh, book, a making of Evil Dead book, where he basically says, Evil Dead 3, yeah, that's it, we're not going to do any more. So they claim that legally that means he's given up his right and his company have given up the right to make any more Evil Dead films. Now, this despite the fact that Evil Dead remake is, is currently in the works with Sam Raimi and Bruce Campbell and Robert Tabbert involved. They're also actively developing an Evil Dead 4, with, hmm. which will star Bruce Campbell as Ash. And obviously, Renaissance Films and Raimi are fighting this in the courts, but this yes. this other company are <coughs> kind of flicking the fees at them and going, no, we're going to do it anyway. Well, now, it's been a while since I studied copyright law. It's yeah. possible there have been developments, but that sounds to me like a complete pile of tosh. It sounds like a bunch of chancers chancing around. It, yes, that yeah. would be, if anything, an understatement. Legally, that's, that's I, can, I can say that. Legally, much, I? I think okay. you can say that. I always think that, you know, a movie goes a bit more savvy than that, and they can sniff out a ropey kind of jobbing I, sequel um, I don't know if they can I mean I, I guess the fact that there, there are loads of DTV sequels to movies I mean I saw coming out very very soon is SWAT 2 Firefight I mean honestly who's watching this stuff but people obviously do they watch 8mm mm. 2 they watch 
stir of, there's, there's there are seriously stir of echo sequels. I mean, yeah, <laughs> it's weird. I wasn't surprised to hear William Freakin last week saying that he hadn't watched the Exorcist sequels. I was, actually. but I was surprised to see he hadn't seen the French Connection too. Yes, which is actually <laughs> a really, really, good really, really good. Yeah, and Exorcist Three is, is really, really good. But you know, hey ho, I'm yeah. sure he has his reasons. And now it's time for Dan's new story. Who's you, Dan? This week you're reporting from inside the walls of Chris Nolan's home, I believe. Well, my new story, funnily enough, is about another superhero franchise, or franchises. Um, this this whole Marvel secret film business. It's been announced that Marvel secret film has moved from May 16th, 2014, to August the 1st, 2014. Right. Now, this rather seemingly innocuous fact has been interpreted as proving that, in fact, Marvel secret film, which was previously thought to be the Black Panther, but has been proven... It's not, apparently. Mm -hmm. It's now going to be Guardians of the Galaxy. Guardians of the Galaxy is a bit of a tougher sell in terms of introducing it and getting people's heads around what it is. So they've pushed the date back, so they've got more time to explain what it is. Now, this is, in a way, a good point, because I know the Marvel Universe pretty well. I used to read the comic books. Yeah. Um, and have still recently read some of the comic books. But I can honestly say I've no idea who the Guardians of the Galaxy are. Well, this is the thing. I actually used to read Guardians of the Galaxy. They were, you know, back in the, uh, I think it was the 1990s, when Marvel right. was just relaunching virtually every title they could think of, from Guardians of the Galaxy to Silver Sable. And they used to bring out these grand issue ones with the like the silver covers and the colourful covers that you thought, you know, oh, if I buy this now, it'll be worth £10,000 by the time I'm, I'm 40. <laughs> it, it, I don't think it's going that way at all. But um, And I used to read Guardians of the Galaxy, and I can't remember a single thing about it. Apart from one of the one of the guys, uh, one of the guys in the team is a galactic superhero. Team. Yeah, I mean, hey, I've, I've uh, written it's purple it. with a mohawk. Uh, 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 that's all uh, I remember about it's it. It's Adam Warlock, right? Oh yeah, that, Drax, I, I know who that is. Drax the Destroyer. No, Drax the Destroyer. Gamora. Was Wasn't that a film? Yeah, yeah, Gamora. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Quasar. Qu- Quasar. I Quasar. Know, yeah. Yeah. Now Nova, I know because Nova. Nova was a herald of Galactus. Yeah. Your, your favourite, and. Rocket Raccoon. I think is this a new? There's because there's there's a new Guardians of the Galaxy team. I think is it? This isn't the Guardians of the Galaxy team that right. I was okay. reading. You sure this isn't the writing team? Dan? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I've just written these down. Now, Adam Warlock vaguely rings a bell, as does Drax the Destroyer. But, but well, Adam Warlock certainly brings it into the whole Thanos world. Um, right. Right. Okay. They're they're establishing with the Avengers too, and clearly hmm. Marvel are taking the success of that movie and Thor, hmm. which introduced the idea of aliens and in, in, into the Marvel universe, as uh, as a sign that audiences are going to be, I guess, receptive to this sort of stuff, to to, to okay. the more to the more out there. But uh, after the Green Lantern, universe. why would why would they go there? It's a curious one, but I mean, I've got much more faith in Marvel than I, than I do in you know random people who don't right. really know what they're doing. Okay, picking up Green Lantern. For, is there any? I mean, I'm honestly, is there anything in this? Because as a, you know, like you know, as I stalk Christopher Nolan, you stalk Kevin Feige. With no, um, there's no. I haven't, I haven't, uh, I haven't asked my Marvel sources about this. Perhaps I should with my news hat on, but they'll, they'll probably just. Yeah, so it's a weird one. They'll probably it's just say. One. I want no the secret comment. film to be Secret Wars. Now that would be awesome. That's like the next step up from Avengers, isn't it? That would be amazing. Um, but then you'd have to have Spider-Man in there and Fantastic yeah. Four and yeah. stuff and X-Men. Like, and, oh, God, it'd be so good. Yeah, it'd be, so it'd be good. brilliant. And um, all the baddies, including Galactus. Y- yes, that'd be amazing. And, and the where, lizards in there as well. Yeah, and the bit where Doctor Doom gets all the power of Galactus is just the best. Bit. And we set up Spider-Man too as well, because that's where he gets his uh, symbiote costume. 
That's that is true. Good, but, you know? Yes, indeed, yeah. indeed. If you haven't read Secret Wars, by the way, it's a, it's this cracking limited edition from the from the eighties, where uh, a lot of Marvel heroes and villains are transported to a, a, a patchwork planet mm. made by this hugely powerful entity called the Beyonder, and then they just fight for twelve issues. And uh, Doctor Doom has evil plans to steal Beyonder's power, and it all it all kicks off. And it also has my favorite Hulk moment of all time. Uh, in Secret Wars when uh, Molecule Man whose powers are realised to their full potential in Secret Wars uh, and this is, this is the geekiest thing we've ever done in this podcast anyway screw it <laughs> we're, 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 we're moving on uh, Molecule Man has his powers are fully realised by Doctor Doom because he can control molecules which means effectively he's one of the most powerful people he is in, yeah. in the universe and so the heroes are miles away and Molecule Man picks up a mountain range using nothing but the power of molecules <gasps> and maybe even the Higgs boson probably the Higgs know. boson probably the Higgs boson and drops him on the heroes and that's a cliffhanger at the end of the issue and you're going no the heroes have been squashed flat but they haven't been because the, the, the strong superheroes kind of catch the mountains in the next <laughs> issue but the Hulk who at this point is Bruce Banner inside oh, the Oh, yeah, Hulk's they body. gave him his, his yeah, mind. Because he, yeah, because he slowly progressed into the Savage Hulk. Yeah. yeah, yeah. But he's holding the mountain range, billions of tons of rock on his back and bitching and moaning about it because it's really heavy. And it's just my favourite moment. Any time anyone says, who's the strongest one there is? I go, Hulk, because he mm. carried a mountain range on his back. Mm. He has so, uh, universal strength. <laughs> this is from your Marvel. It's from the Marvel superheroes <laughs> role-playing game. I just made it geekier. <laughs> just when you thought we could oh, yeah. get anywhere. See, the thing down. only has monstrous strength, but the Hulk yeah. has, uh, has I never has understood why strength. the thing and the Hulk would, would why the thing keeps antagonizing the Hulk. Hmm. Because the thing just yeah. can't hold a candle to the Hulk. Yeah. I mean, it's just exactly. daft. Yeah. Stupid, man. Yeah. Uh, but the yeah. Guardians of the Galaxy weren't those cards, I'm sure. But... Uh, Helen, what do you think about this? Do you think Guardians of the Galaxy might, might work? It's a, it's a bit of a tough sell, isn't it? It's a tougher sell, but then, you know, I think what Marvel have shown they can do really well is to find a way to, you know, make unlikely characters work. Who would have thought that Thor could work in the same universe as Iron Man, you know, sort of a very grounded superhero, and then this godlike alien from another planet? Uh, and they kind of find a way to do that. So I'm I'm hopeful that by figuring out what works about the comics, which is what they've done so far, yeah. and making that happen on screen, that they can they can make this happen. But certainly, yeah, it's it's a it's another step up for them in terms of difficulty. Absolutely. And it sounds like it could be huge as well. But if it does happen, what I would like to see, I wouldn't like to see Earth or any connection with humans. I'd like to just see this be a galactic superhero team fighting out there and maybe maybe somehow they, they go to Asgard or something like that. But I, I wouldn't want to see the usual. Because you know, Green Lantern had this great universe and then just ends up with him on Earth running around driving a motorbike and stuff. And it's, it's a little bit limited in, in scope and imagination. So it'd be good to you do that but also maybe by moving from May to August they've opened up another slot for something in May because there's always this talk of Edgar Wright's Ant-Man for which test footage is being shot right so it might be that as well unless that's the secret film that could be the secret film hmm and Guardians of the Galaxy business is all just we, we shall know uh, hopefully this time next week hmm. at Comic Con in San Diego Bobcat Goldthwait is best known to some as a scabrous, no-fear comedian and best known to most as the screeching criminal-turned-cop said in three of the Police Academy movies, but recently he's turned his hand to writing and directing excellent pitch-black comedies that expose the moral hypocrisies of American society, from Sleeping Dogs Lie to World's Greatest Dad. He's added again with God Bless America, a hyper-violent satire starring Joel Murray, yes, one of Bill's brothers, as an ordinary Joe who, fed up with the crass commercialization and unfeeling nature of American society, decides to go on a killing spree with a 
16-year-old girl because that always solves problems. Uh, Goldthwait came in earlier this week to talk about his frequently very funny movie and here are some of the highlights. He was talking to me and Ali Plum. So uh, we're in the Empire Bot booth with uh, Bobcat Goldthwait, the director of God Bless America. Uh, And when I watched this film, I thought... This is a movie that I'm sure the founding fathers would have been horrified to see. <laughs> well, um, or or it would be uh, principles that they they tried to put in place, to, and they'd yeah. be happy to see just that crumbled. Yeah, no, 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 no. They'd be happy to see that that uh, 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 freedom of uh, uh, expression still was True. existed. Yeah. So, True. so and then everything else they probably would have been mad at. Yeah, it's just in the, the society that they they forged. Yeah, as... but you know, uh, you know, these guys were, you know. <laughs> They they still had their slaves and whores. I mean, they weren't. <laughs> uh, true. How they upright weren't were they? Of virtue. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Absolutely. So, where did this movie come from for you? Because uh, I believe it was when you were channel surfing. Yeah, actually, um, you know, it's funny. People sometimes will say, "Why doesn't Frank just turn off the TV?" And it's like, <laughs> because you can't escape this stuff. I mean, like, I don't. There's no reason I should know anything about Kim Kardashian's wedding or if she's divorced. But I still had to, you know, hear about it. And and, and I don't know. I I. I, I so I was about to say there's no reason I knew about that dumb horse wedding, but <laughs> but then I realized I'm the problem when I say that. You know, yeah. I'm I'm just as shocking as the people that get shot in the movie. You know, um, or faux shocking. You know, that's yeah. something that really drives me crazy. Uh, and and I don't think there's as much of that in the UK as there is in the states. It's creeping over here. Yeah, but you know, I mean the 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 faux outrageousness. I mean, I, I'm sure. That, I mean, there, there's a lot of the crap television shows. They're all the yeah. same and they and we rip each other's shows off yeah, yeah but but like the um the wacky morning aggressive djs or the conservative djs that just spew this stuff every day so you, you can have your opinions reaffirmed or 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 it's not shocking it's actually pretty predictable but but that that you guys for some reason dodged that bullet to an extent it seems like i think Part of that might come from the fact we have a national broadcaster. And the BBC is obviously funded by the taxpayer and it's, you know, it's kind of funded by the government in a, in a way. So it, it, we, we've never really quite gone down that path. But there are talk radio shows that are springing up over here now. That, yeah, what about... That do, the, that do, what about, like, podcasts? I mean, aren't they hmm. the equivalent of... Uh, I've never. I mean, I've never looked them up, but I'm sure they're there. I, 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 I'm sure they're. <laughs> this there. one isn't. This one is not. This, yeah, we, this, we don't. This, uh, one, this one's huge. Oh, it's massive. First of all, massive. this is going to reinvent me. <laughs> <laughs> Bob, Bob Scratch Goldfarb takes over the UK. That's good to know. That's well, great to yeah, know. That's what we're aiming for. But I, uh, uh, I, um, I, I <laughs> that I sound like I'm sucking up to you, but you know that is the exciting thing about podcasts too. You, you're talking to the people that would actually see the movie mm, versus. Yeah. Is me going on, you know, yeah. uh, Taint and Teabag, as it's implied in, in the movie. It's called Taint and Jeff, but uh, <laughs> and you go on and you know, hey, it's Tuesday. Uh, you know, so as a comedian, I've done a million of those shows, but but uh, we should explain the movie a little bit to folks who aren't aware of it, or, or yeah, will absolutely. you do that? We will do it in the podcast. Ah, we'll, 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 we'll okay. Well, it, yeah. you don't need my no, my, my. You want to hear it's my gonna, explanation? Gonna, gonna All right. So it's a movie about a guy who's. A, a farmer and his uh, 
aunt and uncle are killed by stormtroopers. No, it's a movie. It sounds good. Lemon fly. When you burn it down, you lose, you know, lose basic elements. Yeah, that's all that is. It's it's really Dorothy uh, trying to get home, kind of. But um, so uh, no, it's a movie about a guy who's suicidal and he's about to commit suicide, and then he's watching a show uh, like My Super Sweet Sixteen, mm. and then instead of committing suicide, he decides to drive 400 miles and shoot that girl in the face. Yeah. And then, uh, and he meets up with a young gal who says, did you kill Chloe? To her classmate. And, and Frank doesn't say anything back and she goes, awesome. So that's how they, <laughs> that's how they meet. And they, it's a, it's a violent movie about kindness is how I like to describe it. All right, cool. Because uh, there are obviously elements of, you know, when I watched it, there's network in there. There's, oh, sure. There's Taxi Driver. There's, yeah. you know, from my mind, from my mind, there was even, you know, Mike Judge's Idiocracy. Was that, was that an influence at all? No, or was that just... You know what's funny? Idiot, uh, the other ones were, but, you know, I've seen Idiocracy and it gets compared to it sometimes. Um, I, I'm not sure about the comparison Comparison. Uh, I mean, I, I I like that movie, but is it just because of the dumbing down? Is yeah. that is that what well, it is? Idiocracy is more about where society is going. Which yeah, is horrifying. And you're aware. And this is right about, now. This is right now. And yeah. this is the first time I've written a screenplay that's supposed to take place now. You know, the other movies, I don't know where they are or what time or you know, I, I, I if a damn cell phones because if it was up to me, they wouldn't be in <laughs> the movies I make because I like movies that you don't know. So yeah. so you watch them twenty years and you know movies like. Dog Day Afternoon still holds up and, and, and a lot of the movies that did influence us like Badlands and Bonnie and Clyde obviously um, some movies that people bring up that uh, I, I actually really didn't care for it and, and that's falling down because yeah, yeah, yeah. It, it, it's kind of racist it's this guy who's you know I don't think people understand he really wants to go to his daughter's birthday party and people won't let him. Yeah, I don't care, you know. <laughs> just like, I just, I and, and Natural Born Killers is, is, of course, a fascinating movie, but that movie blames the media for, and also it explores our ghoulish interest uh, in, in murderers. But, um, I, you know, this movie, uh, if it works for people, is trying to explore uh, why are we so uh, interested in constantly being distracted? Yeah. You know, we... we, we you know, non-conversations or non-versations, as my wife likes to call them, <laughs> you know. Um, and that that's, it's funny that I'm here because, honestly, one of the tipping points was I was watching, um, I was watching, they had a My Super Sweet 16 marathon right. here in London the last time I was here. And that, and I was like, oh, these children should die. And uh, and, and that was... Um, was this before, that was before you'd written the script? Or? Yeah, that okay. was kind of helped motivate me to write the screenplay. Because uh, <laughs> I read another interview with you where you said it wasn't necessarily a laundry list. Frank is not you. I mean, you, you, yeah. you share some of the same. Yeah, I would say I agree with about ninety percent of Frank's. Well, that's uh, okay, that's you know, that's, yeah, that's, 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 the, that's, that's, the, that's right. The, the homicidal part is the yeah, that ten percent. <laughs> <laughs> the shooting strangers in the face part yeah. is where I, I draw the line. But uh, what was it about Joel that made you you think, yeah, this guy can play? A homicidal maniac. Well, I mean, he's my friend, and I've known him for a million years. But he—he, he, uh, it was 
he, him on Mad Men, you know, he he played a guy who who's not getting laughs, but but still riveting, you know. And and I think that was it, you know. But I had back surgery and I was high on Dilaudid and had uh, sent him the script, but I forgot to tell him that I wanted him to be the lead. And he's like, "Which I'm the little girl?" Yeah, yeah. He's just, <laughs> I don't see me as a perky fifteen year old, but but he he uh, uh, yeah. He's like, "Which the guy in the office?" Well, I go, "No." Frank is the guy you know so so uh, plus you know Joel's directed stuff so it really was like having another set of eyes on the set at all times it was great you I know? think he fulfills the same function in this film as Robin Williams did in World's Greatest Dad yeah. like he's a guy who's doing really really bad things on screen but he's got this innate mm. likability that makes you go all the way with him yeah this weird empathy you know those two both have it where, where, where even yeah exactly what you're saying even though they're doing horrible things you're still kind of concerned about them you know yeah, I call that the George Costanza effect, where you go, that's horrible, don't do that, also, I'm loving this. <laughs> yeah, I don't understand how or what it is that certain folks can get away with it and you do that, you know what I'm saying? Would you mind if I did a, a little bit of triple fact-checking here? Because I've written yes. pieces about you before, which sounds a bit odd, but it's true. And I found a quote for from Martin Scorsese. Who said? Ah, see, yeah, okay, yeah, that's a good one to straighten out. No, I want to straighten this out because yeah. it sounds like too good a quote, and I mean that in a kind of a twisted way. But the quote is: "Shakes the clown is the Citizen Kane of alcoholic clown movies." Right. What is the truth behind that? The truth is, is that that quote came from uh, the Boston Globe. There's a woman named Betsy Sherman, and she wrote that. The the the, the Citizen Kane alcoholic clown movie, Shakes the Clown. Years later, someone was interviewing Martin Scorsese, and they said. You really think we should preserve every movie? And he goes, "Yeah, yeah." He goes, "You would preserve Shakes the Clown?" And he goes, <laughs> "He goes, I love Shakes the Clown." And he goes, "He goes, you love Shakes the Clown?" And he goes, "That's a very dark, dark place that that world." And then, um, and the guy goes, "Yeah, it's a, a clown movie for uh, Citizen Kane fans or something like that." The reporter does, and, and Scorsese goes, "No, it's the Citizen Kane of alcoholic clown movies. Get it right." <laughs> and and so technically. He did say that, <laughs> but he's not. Yeah, so so the you know, and I remember just reading that quote, and my daughter's like, "Dad, why do you keep reading that?" I go, "Your dad's never going to win an award." You know, the <laughs> fact that he knows I'm alive, this is insane. You know, have you ever met, met him since? Uh, no, no, but I have had friends who've gone into auditions and stuff, and they'll go, "Were you in uh, Chase the Clown?" <laughs> Serious? <laughs> he's a walking in IMDb. I mean, he's just he's phenomenal, absolutely yeah. phenomenal. Um, and I think we've got to let you go in a second. Oh, that's all right. We can um, go a little longer now. Let's see. What, what's yeah? the other questions? You've referred to your time, your early career, as your uh, your porn star days, your porn past. <laughs> a little bit, yeah, yeah. And I enjoyed that, and I was just wondering whether you still feel that way because I, I read that in an interview from a few years ago right. have you grown accustomed to your back catalogue not really I mean it's not it's not it's not like um <laughs> yeah, it's just this weird past that I have that that it it doesn't bother me. I'm not like, please don't bring up Hot to Trot or please don't bring up Police Academy. He's got to leave. It's just this really, you know, uh, I just read a quote roughly about that same thing. And it was like, I, I Virginia Madsen was in Hot to Trot with me, this talking horse movie. It's a terrible movie. <laughs> and and I see her and I go, hey, how are you? And she's like, hey, how are you? And, okay. and, and she was kind of cold. And I was like, she, she was very friendly when we made the movie. What's the deal? And then I thought, it really was like a porn. It was like, hey, remember we were in Ass Blasters <laughs> 2 together? 
Remember? <laughs> but, but she, you know, so I figured that's why it's like that. You know, but, uh, porn stars don't tend to have people come up in the street uh, and quote lines back. At them. <laughs> maybe they do. I don't maybe know. Maybe they but. do. Well, <laughs> they're just like my lines in movies. They're like, ah! <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I guess maybe. I don't yeah. know. Does it does it uh, does it rile you then when you still get people quoting Police Academy stuff? Back no, I, yeah. I, I, it doesn't rile me, but it, it's also, um, um, uh, it, you know, if 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 I had met these people at a wedding, the first thing they would say is, "Hey, remember that med- wedding we met yeah. at?" You know, yeah. so 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 I treat it like that. But you know, I I never think that age is an excuse for anything. But but I did those movies when I was like twenty three, twenty two. You know, so I, I did. I took those jobs at the same time most of my friends were just getting out of college and university. So, uh, unfortunately, my first job, <laughs> you know, plays cable television every couple uh, months, you know. Uh, so, but you know, boo-hoo, you know, yeah. as my wife would say, oh, your diamond shoes are too tight. <laughs> oh, people recognize me from inferior projects. Wah. <laughs> but there, there's been all this talk about a Police Academy reboot and a completely yeah. hypothetical situation here. I know you write your own stuff but if the studio came to you and said big paycheck would you write it and direct it I think that would be hysterical they would never do that you know I mean the first day you know Gutenberg would get shot in the first first thing I think uh, I I heard they're going to reboot it and they're going to do it like 21 Jump Street they're going to make it a comedy this time yeah (laughs) you've got me there now now with jokes now with (laughs) yeah but uh, so you weren't a fan of the first one whenever you when you signed on for I hadn't even seen the first one okay I know people probably don't believe that but it was a big formative experience for me as a as yeah was it kid, yeah. but it also had breasts then they That's got rid then they got rid of the breasts <laughs> <laughs> then they uh, yeah it just became PG by the end of yeah this, then they just yeah, became yeah I don't know why they really screwed the formula and they kept adding more and more comedians <laughs> isn't that weird <laughs> Did you notice that? There's just like more and more casts. Like it was like a cast of 50 or something. I uh, recently read Steve Gutenberg's um, memoir. His his, uh, Gutenberg bio? Yeah. And how is it? It's like, it's fun and very like unenjoyable. He's very light about it. And he says that making the Police Academy films was just just incredibly pleasurable. He just says it was just a lot of fun. It was very, you know, silly. Then he must have left out me crapping in his trailer. (laughs) 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 I used to torment that guy. So bad. He'd be like, "Hey man," because they give him a big trailer. Hey man, my trailer's your trailer, and then I go, "Oh, is it?" And so and then sometimes I'd just be nude in his bed when he'd get to come down from the set. Uh, so I also read that uh, you and Joel Murray uh, once stole John Cusack's credit that, card. That's true. We would, uh, <laughs> when we were doing this movie one crazy summer, we yeah. would take his credit card numbers down and order things from like you know bamboo steamers and and. Uh, uh, I don't know the equivalent you know just all this late night 80s yeah, yeah. Uh, uh, commercials so all the stuff that was kind of fuel in a way for, for God Bless America was already was already on TV no then. it'd be like these crappy like you know uh, Freedom Rock it'd be like an album full of like oh, right, yeah, yeah, yeah. 70s hits yeah. or, or no featuring the exactly yeah, you know uh, Jinsu Knives you know any <laughs> any any kind of uh, crap late at night we'd, <laughs> we'd his door. I would order it and he's like you guys didn't get a set of bamboo <laughs> Steamers, you know, bamboo steamers sound way dirtier than. <laughs> you weren't tempted to like, you know, put a Porsche on there and. <laughs> and well, no, but it was Joel that pointed that out to me recently because you 
remember taking Cusack's card? I was like, oh, dude, no, man. <laughs> Did you pick the name God Bless America so that when people looked up the song, it would also it say, would not to be confused with God Bless America film? And no. Well, that's two great. people are going to click. That's great. I No, I, but, you know, when I go on the road, uh, you know, I'm like in some country station in the South and they're like, God Bless America, what's that move about? And he's like, uh, it's a patriotic salute to the troops, you know, because <laughs> there's no way I'm going to get out of here alive, you know. Well, let me uh, tell you. Yeah. It's like, you like America? Yeah, that's how I like the sound of that. <laughs> Actually, I was at a gun store because when we got married, got ready for the movie, uh, uh, the guy goes, what's your, what's your movie called? I was like, God bless America. He's like, ah, that sounds good. You know, it's got my seven dollars. I was like, six. You know, yeah. uh, uh, <laughs> I was, when I was writing the screenplay, I would be Googling weapons and, and all this stuff. And you know how like your computer eventually is, is, it starts giving you, uh, banners yeah, yeah. Oh yeah, yeah. Oh, suggestions, yeah. Suggestions, yeah. I'm not kidding. It said visit Arkansas. <laughs> it was a it was like a holiday uh, package to Arkansas that came up. Well, because I was looking at guns so much, I guess. I've just got a couple of things. I uh, just want to talk about the, the, the film again, really, really quickly. But out of all the things in the film, and God bless you, thank by the way for including people who talk and text during films. Yeah, in your list of pet hates. That's my. That is my kryptonite. I was good. Yeah, which one is is your is your biggest pet hate? I would say that that actually really. Did. I mean that that that's how I, I I pick a movie by by how I go. Well, it's been out. Uh, has it been out long enough that the the morons will have already seen it? You know. Oh, maybe I'll, I'll go at noon. And, you know. <laughs> you yeah. know what I mean? You have to like figure out how you're going to yeah. avoid those people. It's oh, tactical, yeah. yeah. Well, as a comedian, you know, you're on stage and I look out and there's just glowing crotches. You know what I mean? It's like <laughs> it looks like a Kiss Me Deadly or, or, or a Pulp Fiction suitcase. You know, everyone's crotches is blue or white or gold. Uh, well, listen, Bobcat, it's been a pleasure. And, thanks, uh, thanks, guys. Thank you in. so much. Excellent stuff there from Bobcat Goldway, and there's a, a name you'd like to say ten times fast in a hurry, my word. Uh, and let's start, actually, with God Bless America, uh, which is already out, is already on release, uh, and it's a movie I liked a great deal, but I, I also like... I like all this stuff mm. so far as the director. I haven't seen Shakespeare's Clown, I'm, I'll be completely honest, but I do want to seek it out because Martin Scorsese likes it. Then. And World's Greatest Dad was terrific as well. Yeah. It was a really dark, clever comedy. So, yeah, you know. and this is this is very much along the same lines. Yeah. It, it, it kind of... It could have been another super, which is that, it, up for my money anyway, absolutely dreadful uh, James Gunn, uh, Rain Wilson superhero mm. vigilante comedy from last year, which was just turgid and horrible to sit through and unlikable characters doing terrible things uh, and this has characters doing terrible things but like World's Greatest Dad in which Robin Williams covers up his son's suicide and yeah. you know, basically well, he, he doesn't know, actually stages cover up his son's the son's death he turns his son's death into a suicide yeah. horrible yeah. stupid death yeah. into some, you know, something poetic right? into something poetic which then furthers his writing career which he's yeah. been trying to get off the, the yeah. ground for ages and can't and suddenly he becomes a flavour of the month and everyone mm. so it exposes uh, that film exposes mm. hypocrisy in terms of people's relationships to each other like mm. oh someone they, they ignore or actively bully within yeah. death they, they, they claim to have loved and been great friends with and uh, and this movie kind of it doesn't quite have the same narrow laser point 
uh, vision of, uh, of, of aiming for his targets. But mm. what it does do is it, it has this broad scattergun, almost blunderbuss approach to, to American society. So at the beginning of the film, Joel Murray, um, who is very, very likable and grounds the movie because he, he perpetrates some horrendously violent acts in this movie. But you're kind of with him all the way, which is a, a very, very nice uh, piece of work on, on Goldthwait's part to, to do that. Um, he's basically flipping through American TV shows, and you know, it's effectively the the dawn of the end of Western civilization. This is just it's just there on on TV. So it's like you know, horrible game shows. You got American Idol type shows. You got dreadful My Sweet Sixteen MTV shows with scatterbrained people yelling because they didn't get the car they wanted. Mm. Um, I've seen My Super Sweet Sixteen. Can I just interject yeah. here? That is. A, a, a show that will genuinely make you fear for the world yeah if you ever get the chance to see it it's scarier than most horror movies <laughs> anyway sorry do go why, on. why is that why is it scary my super sweet 16 is about incredibly spoiled incredibly rich teenagers uh demanding things of their incredibly indulgent parents um and it's, it, it's genuinely horrific it yeah. is people um basically whining because they got the wrong model mercedes for their 16th birthday it's that kind of show does it yeah. make you want to go out on a killing spree a little bit, yeah, but so far I've resisted. Okay. So what's the... I mean, you mentioned it's satirising. It's a satire. Mm-hmm. What, what is it satirising? Is it satirising kind of a natural-born killer? Is it satirising media's approach to violence or America, uh, Americana, small-town America? Uh, it's uh, satirising, a, a, well, a, a bit of that, a bit of the um, uh, media's approach to violence because as they go in this killing spree, uh, the media just almost totally ignores it. For, I'm not entirely sure why but it's also about I think the decline of American civilization and the fact that you know people don't talk to each other anymore and they just demand things and they're just empty headed and you know, materialistic and it's it's a very angry movie but uh, it's also a very very funny movie at times and very thoughtful yeah it's not quite the movie that you think it is you think it's going to be just filled with hyper violence and, uh, and a very broad movie but it's actually quite subtle and it stops an awful lot for philosophical exchanges between uh, Joel Murray who, who again is excellent and Tara Lynn Barr who's a 16 year old girl uh, who who joins him on his killing spree they become almost this Bonnie and Clyde type type figure but um, I, I think if you <laughs> it's interesting there's, there's going to be something in this movie I think that hits a nerve with with certain people, uh, whether it's you know the, the the way that TV shows like American Idol exploit people who just want to be on TV, mercilessly exploit them, and shows like TMC, which uh, or or websites like TMC, which in the states just hideously invade people's privacy, or, or even just something as simple as people talking in cinemas and, and texting and phones, and it's it's, it's about that sort of the, the fact that people are so closed off now they don't care they have no consideration for others they don't care about what they do or how my actions affect you and and so there's going to be something here that you kind of connect with and resonate with and it's actually quite disturbing when you watch people shooting someone in the cinema for for texting you're kind of going "Uh, yeah I can can kind of get on board with that I can see that so it's quite a disturbing film it makes you reflect upon yourself does anybody replace anybody's shampoo with glue no, but and maybe, get punished. Who knows if, if there's a sequel? Uh, who knows? Maybe in that one. But uh, I would recommend that one. Uh, it's, I think it's also out very, very soon on DVD. It's also on, on demand very, very soon. But if you can go see it at the cinema, hell, why not? Uh, so now we're going to move on to a film that I suspect is seared onto Helen's brain. Why would you say that? Uh, well, because it's true. Essentially, isn't it? Yeah. 
We'll discuss it. A little bit. Okay. Uh, it's Magic Mike, the abtastic Steve Soderbergh movie that stars Johnny Tatum as a male stripper. It's based on Tatum's own experiences and his own muscles to boot and also stars Matthew McConaughey, Alex Pettifer, Matt Bomer and Joe Manganiello in a display of six packs that will seriously dent the self-esteem of anyone with a flabby gut. <laughs> okay, Helen, this movie's gone down well with, uh, in the States, but given that it's Soderbergh, it's, it's, it's about so much more than just a, a parade of flesh, isn't it? Yes, it is. It's actually one of the most likeable and kind of fun movies I think we've seen all year. And, and I don't think it's just for um, the the straight ladies and the gay gentlemen, to be perfectly honest. I, I do think this is a kind of across the boards uh, film. I have to say, I kind of had a tendency to sort of cover up my eyes and mutter, oh God, we don't need to see that uh, during <laughs> during the bits with, involving thongs and fr- thrusting. Um, and I'm sure I'm not alone in the cinema in that. But um but it's mostly really? played for lack, genuinely. I, I don't need to see that much. You know, there's a certain level that you, it's pleasant to look at and then there's a certain level that you're just like, oh, put it away. Okay. So, yeah. Um, but, it, you know, it's that's, you know, not the whole film. Um, a lot of those stripping scenes are played for laughs and they're very, very, very funny. Mm. Um, and uh, and the rest of the film is is just really charming. It's it's you know a very likable, freewheeling kind of a a story. Channing Tatum is is really good in this. Um, you know he's not just stripping in the evenings. He's also trying to work during the day. He's roofing. He's trying to get his own company off the ground. Um, he's kind of struggling to do so. He takes Alex Pettifer under his wing as a new stripper and is trying to show him the ropes. Um, meets Alex Pettifer's sister, played by Cody Horn, who is um, he has a bit of an interest in. Um, and uh, and there's all this sort of machinations at the club going on in the background. Matthew McConaughey, who's the boss of the club, is trying to open a new branch, move them all down there. Um, so it's there's kind of a lot going on, but it, it doesn't feel scattergun. It doesn't feel unfocused. It just feels like a kind of a, a really interesting slice of life about this weird little subculture that most of us have no experience of. I mean, obviously, Chris, you've been a male stripper in your time. Yes. So, you know, you'd know more about it. But, um, the but blob generally speaking... <laughs> I've been a paint stripper. Well, close enough. <laughs> I love I love the fact though that this is a Steven Soderbergh movie. Yeah. I just love the Steven Soderbergh. It's just like there's nothing he can't or won't do. You know, mm. yeah. he shot he shot he shot a movie with a porn star. You know, he shot Haywire, which I actually you know yeah. really enjoyed. Yeah, as as an action film, um, as an action thriller. You know, he's, he's he even did a you know Michael Curtis style 1940s film. And now less he's successfully, sort of, but yeah, 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 less successfully. I, I love the fact that it exists. I yeah, didn't like yeah. the film. Absolutely. You know, I, I remember. I remember when Aaron Brockovich came out. I thought, what is he doing? What's going on here? And this is just kind of like this is again, actually Aaron Brockovich like I think in some ways. Yeah. And that it's it's kind of in some ways a quite uh, traditional story. It's it's you know the basic plot, the basic outline is something that we have seen before, um, but usually it's kind of maybe been done the other way around. I mean, mm. we've kind of seen the Aaron Brockovich story before, but it was generally a man's story uh, this to was the extent it? that it's been done before has generally been a woman's story I, I see what you mean I see what you um, mean and, and he's just kind of slightly tweaking it and, and playing with it and, and it, it feels like a movie mm. with a director that's having really good fun but also a director who's very good which I think yeah. helps it makes a difference for this kind of film to have a pair of you know a pair of hands a pair of eyes behind it mm. uh, like his I think you know that's, that's what elevates it isn't it yeah, I think that's probably fair. Um, and I think also it's just, it's got a great cast. You know, the fact that he was involved means that you get, you know, the Matthew McConaughey's and people mm. to play relatively small roles, but give them a little bit more kind of, uh, um, 
weight, I guess. And and mm. yes, I just said that Matthew McConaughey gave a, a role weight. Go figure. Mm. He's yeah. having a moment. Yeah. Uh, yeah, it's, it's all going on for him at the moment, isn't yeah. it, McConaughey? Yeah, it's it kicking off properly. Yeah. Now now is the time to get Rain of Fire 2 off the ground. <laughs> Come on. <laughs> yes. should use this newfound clout. So it's very much not show, guys. But I am interested in, like, you know, because there is a kitsch element to it, I suppose, as well. And I'm interested in, like, what sort of a lifespan it will have beyond this, because they've already got a musical lined up, presumably subtitled Turn on the the Night Again. Um, That could be be fun. I mean, it's going to be one of these films that just lives, I think, isn't it? It feels that way already. Yeah, it it really does. I would would go back and see it in a moment. I was actually at a mini hen do last week, and I was trying to persuade the mini hens that we should we should go and watch this as a right. I thought they would be on their list anyway. Well, for some reason, they thought it'd be more sociable not to sit in a, a cinema for two hours and watch a film, but hey, go figure. What did they um, do instead? I'm, I'm almost afraid to ask. Learn but. to make cocktails. But but no, it's just... Honestly, this is one of the most likeable and kind of joyful films I've seen this year um, in a strange way. And uh, and and yeah, I I would thoroughly watch it again. One, one for the O'Hara top ten? Of the year, mm. so far, certainly, mm. yeah. Um, it's not, you know, t- top three, but it's definitely in there. The Ooh. second sexiest Matthew McConaughey movie of the month. Oh, goodness, no. <laughs> Any fried chicken in this one? No, nobody eats anything fried in this movie. I can't imagine they do, no. having, having seen the stills. I don't think they've ever eaten a carb, actually. What the hell is Joe Manganiello doing? I mean, that body's just stupid. Stupid. Your Isn't body is stupid, man. No, but um, I'm angry he, about it. Well, <laughs> Whereas you're like, ooh, and I'm like, come on. He is, um, like, he's basically scene stealing throughout this film. Like, he doesn't have a scene where it's all about him. He doesn't particularly have his own subplot happening. He doesn't have any real focus on him. Uh, what he does have is an astonishing ability to steal scenes um, from uh, people all around him and there's one bit where he's in the foreground and Matthew uh, and Channing Tatum and Alex Pettifer are talking in the background which will have you actually fall off your seat laughing mm-hmm. I'm not going to say what he's doing but it's really quite wrong <laughs> if you've seen right. Austin Powers it's that bit ah yes what the second one uh, the first one. Oh, actually yeah they repeat it yeah I know what you're talking about okay alright okay I think I know what you're talking about so he gets frozen in time and okay yeah. <laughs> uh, we're going to talk about a re-release because we covered it in great depth this month in a magazine uh, it's Paul Verhoeven's 1990 sci-fi classic Total Recall in which Arnold Schwarzenegger gets his ass to Mars as we all know so Dan does it hold up yes it does actually well done let's it, move on to Ice Age it's, it's, <laughs> <laughs> it's funny it's funny coming back to it and, and, and having re-watched it in, in tandem with the other Verhoeven sci-fis, um, Starship Troopers and Robocop. I'm not including Hollow Man and neither would he. Um, <laughs> poor old Hollow Man. Yeah, no, no, really not poor old Hollow Man. Poor Hollow That's Man. That's a terrible <laughs> Anyway, and I, I, it's interesting the parallels it has to those movies. I mean, we were talking, you and I, Chris, were talking about it quite a lot about the, the you know, we actually put together that Verhoeven diagram yeah, of, of the things that overlap not just people who are in it but just the themes and the themes and the satire motifs and, and yeah and, and it's interesting just coming back because you know when I first encountered Total Recall it was just like awesome action movie with great sci-fi elements to it and and it was just fun fine and I'm coming back to it now looking at it and just going it's really funny it's so much more a comedy than than I appreciated uh, originally, uh, and and as I say, that's how it fits with RoboCop, which at heart is a comedy, and Starship Troopers, which at heart is a comedy. So uh, and it's just you know it's the way that Verhoeven 
Obviously, this, because uh, it's based on the We Can Remember It For You wholesale Philip K. Dick uh, short story. Which is and a great title, by the way, for yeah. a story. I just love it. Mm. Yeah, Go it's, ahead. it's brilliant. It's brilliant. But, of course, you know, there were, there were, there were, there were hundreds of attempts to adapt this and, you know, stacks and stacks of, of drafts to try and make it work. And I love the way that when Verhoeven came on board, Schwarzenegger was already on board. Schwarzenegger wanted him. And Verhoeven just went, well, Arnold changes it. He changes what it is. He makes it funny. Yeah. <laughs> and yeah. he does. Yeah. Because, you know, he's just like, this This guy's preposterous. Look at him. <laughs> you yeah. know, he's huge. What's he doing? <laughs> and, and it just becomes this weird, mad, larger than life, you know, the exploding woman's head moment. That's, that's just, you know, that's really funny. Yeah. Um, yeah. You know, I was more distracted by how good the special effects were when I first saw it. Yeah, it but feels... now I'm looking at it just going, this is just daft. It's, it's Arnold Schwarzenegger in a dress throwing an exploding head at people. I think it's aged that way. I don't remember it feeling, maybe it's because I was sort of young when I saw it. I've got this, I fished out this old, this August 1990 copy of Empire. I remember buying this issue with, with Arnie's Total Recall uh, character on the front. Is your Arnie kicks haste. Yeah, kicks ass. It's also got a solidarity feature on location in Poland, which probably appeals to me as well. I'll read that later. <laughs> um, and it, I remember this issue. I remember being so excited about this film. I remember mm. the trailer. I remember how amazing it looked. Mm. Now looking back, you're right. You feel like Paul Verhoeven was kind of like just a little ahead of his time with this subversive humour. It's interesting mm. that David Cronenberg was originally working on making bringing this to the screen. He had, I think, William Hurt in mind, mm. which is the weirdest kind of recasting to go from William Hurt to Arnie I guess, um, yeah. yeah absolutely I mean he he talks about how you know he'd taken it to the studio and they said well you've just made the Philip K. Dick version and we don't really want that we want a sort of a straight up you know action film but you're right he smuggles in the subversive comedy in all his films mm. and you feel that now really strongly I do find it fascinating how some of the most successful Philip K. Dick adaptations have nothing to do almost with the Philip K. Dick story. You basically take <laughs> where, the, where is a scanner darkly? You take the premise and you just build something insane around it. Yeah. And it seems to work remarkably well in a way that it's hard to imagine with anybody else, with any other writer ever, really. Mm. I mean, I, I love a scanner darkly as it happens. I love Very the Adjustment same. Bureau, which mm. is which is closer to something that Dick actually wrote. Um, but I have to say, I mean, something like Total Recall, which just you know, throws out ninety percent at least mm. of of the story is you know. But it's a great plot. It's a great yeah. plot as well. I, I, you know, the, the kind of the second guessing and the the undercurrent that it's actually none of it's actually really happening, kind of thing. Which yeah. uh, which was the f- first time I'd seen that mm. when I watched it for the first time. Yeah. If, you, if you see what yeah. I'm saying, I'm not saying no one else has ever done it. It's been done since, and it's been done before. But at the time, you know, in terms of I was I was the target audience for that teenage well, given boy. that you're such a big fan of Brazil, I would have thought. Yeah, have you I, seen Brazil before. I, I saw Total Brazil Recall? after I saw Total Recall. Well, there you go. Okay. Um, but uh, yeah, there are similarities. Yeah, certainly. Um, but was yeah, it? it's just kind of like you know that whole you know if I'm not me, then who the hell am I? You know, and his 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 former self appearing on a video screen and talking to him, and mm. first of all being his mate. Yes. his accomplice yeah. and then of course being no 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 <laughs> I want my body I want back I want my mind back I want my body back what's interesting to me about watching it again and I saw it recently uh, is how obvious it is uh, that the whole thing's a dream hmm. 
and or or an implanted memory or mm. you know it's his experience at recall is what he gets implanted to him in a recall mm. that that actually yeah, happens. the entire plot is told to us very early on yeah the absolutely. guy the car salesman style guy just sits there and just basically tells you the plot tells of the film. you the plot of the film and then even when he's about to be implanted at recall the guy uh, says off camera oh blue sky on mars that's a new one yeah. and uh you know he sees the um uh rachel ticketing character appear on screen before he goes under so it's it's abundantly obvious but when, when I first saw it when I was a kid all I cared about was the violence and the see at the party Richter and the one liners mm. and stuff it, it's an incredible layer Mutant Mary indeed absolutely <laughs> who's uh, interviewed in this one's empire she is indeed thank you for mentioning that as is <laughs> as is Bixby Snyder which which yes from the, Robocop I should uh, buy that for a dollar yeah. so it, it is still utterly fantastic it is it's the last kind of pre-CGI blockbuster almost because I think yeah. T2 followed in footsteps. This film has less than a minute of Next year, CGI actually. in it. That amazing X-ray sequence. Yeah. Um, mm. But a lot of prosthetic, model work, etc. Looks like so looks I think it looks great it's Rob Bottin isn't it in mm. this one Rob Bottin did a lot of the mm. uh, the effects work the prosthetics yes he did yeah. yes he did um, yes. but yeah I think I think at the time it was the most expensive movie yeah Schwarzenegger made. regularly did that then he was uh, and yeah. T2 yeah. took that, that and then True Lies after that yeah. and True Lies after that yeah, yeah. so uh, very very big man big budget absolutely uh, okay so now we're going to discuss two of next week's biggest releases Ice Age 4 Continental Drift and Seeking a Friend for the End of the World in which Kieran Knightley and Steve Carell bond against a backdrop of the apocalypse let's start with a really depressing one shall we Ice Age 4 uh, <laughs> now this 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 series is and correct me if I'm wrong mm. the most successful animated series of all time beyond Toy Story movies beyond Shrek and beyond yes even Madagascar <laughs> It's weirdly successful from my point of view. I've never quite understood the appeal. <laughs> Having said that, I think it's aimed at people a lot younger than me. Yeah. And for them, it seems to work brilliantly. My and kids love it. There you go. Um, and I think this one is exactly more of the same. You know, the cast has expanded yet further. Uh, this time, rather confusingly, now you may be under the impression that the animals featured in this movie um, lived before the last ice age and went extinct about 10,000 years ago. And, and therefore, this was set around about that time. Um, but of course, you would be completely wrong because this one features continental drift, which happened hundreds of millions of years ago. So right. something in the fossil record's gone horribly wrong or they're travelling back in time. Helen, there sure. were dinosaurs in the last one. Yeah, but that was like an Arthur Conan Doyle kind of, you know, little closed off world. I was prepared to go with that. This one upset me. See, they're really smart, though, because the last one, I mean, obviously the first Ice Age worked well because it's whatever. It's, it's talking animals, but different. And then the second one built on that. The third one, what do kids love? Dinosaurs. dinosaurs. It's got dinosaurs in it. This one, what do kids love? Pirates. Pirates. <laughs> it's just not right. You it's don't nuts. need continental drift to have pirates. I'm just saying. No, but anyway. the iceberg is the, is the pirate ship. Yeah, but there's also continental drift involved, not just drifting. Yeah, but they, they need a reason to get to sea. What are they going to have in the I'm next just one? Saying. Bankers. <laughs> there was actually. Well, is, that, is that what you always liked as a kid? Bankers. Yeah. Says a lot. Of course. Yeah, a lot. That does uh, there was actually a suggestion that they'd all get frozen and they'd wake up in the present day in a museum or something. You can just see that happening for five. But honestly, I mean, the characters, I guess, likable. They've got this huge kind of supporting cast around them now. They've all got sort of family units, um, which gives them a lot to work with in terms of in terms of characters and an insane voice cast. Absolutely insane same levels of stardom among people who only say like two lines such, um, as? such as Drake and Nicki Minaj who literally have about two lines each hang on a second I'm just going to google them 
Peter Dinklage is the Peter Dinklage is the big bad. Yes, and Jennifer Lopez. Drake was a gladiator, Chris. Just for for all those things. That's right. Because they had to get a lady mammoth in the second one, didn't they? Yes. Although there wasn't, there was a lady sloth briefly. Um, now they have to have a lady saber-toothed tiger. That's right. Because there's now there's a baby mammoth, so I'm assuming they're going to need a baby saber-toothed tiger. Well, she's no longer a baby mammoth. She's now a teenage mammoth, so you get all of those wonderful teenage tropes in here as well. She's having, you know, arguments with her father. Um, It felt... No, that's that's mean. (laughs) Listen, it's fine. It's an Ice Age movie. You know exactly what you're getting. The animation's actually very good. Um, I still don't love the character design, but that's just me. Um, But it's, it's exactly to the level of the others. How much screen time does that little funny scratch fella get? Um, quite a bit, and he's quite funny, and he gets a really nice like payoff him. at the end of the movie. Yeah. I, I really like because there's a lady scrat in the. That's, that's it. So it goes lady mammoth, lady scrat, lady saber tooth tiger. Uh, yeah. And we gave it three stars. I believe so, yes. So that's. It's a recommendation. If you it's like good. the Ice Age films, yeah. this is absolutely. It might surprise you. I mean, Madagascar 3, which isn't out in this country yet, but is out in the States, uh, I really, really liked. Hmm. Uh, so who knows if you, yeah, know, you like might, Juice Bigelow this is true I do like I do like Juice Bigelow European Gigolo European Gigolo uh, let's move on then to uh, Seeking a Friend for the End of the World uh, Helen you loved this one I didn't really you? did it's honestly one of my t- top films uh, so far this year in terms of kind of emotional impact I'm not saying it's perfect because there's a bit in the middle where it goes into kind of slightly generic uh, road trip territory mm. but I-, I thought it was just really really clever stuff so the the idea is that you know uh, an asteroid is headed our way and uh, the space shuttle containing presumably Bruce Willis and Ben Affleck has actually uh, exploded on its way to intercept this asteroid so we're all definitely doomed and that's basically the beginning of the film we're all definitely doomed Uh, and it's going to be a matter of weeks Oh. And so the first thing you see is... Quick, Chris, buy that Galactus. <laughs> I'll be right back. <laughs> so the first thing you see is is uh, Steve Carell's wife listening to this uh, in, in their stopped car uh, on one side of the road on the news and then just getting out of the car and running away from him. And he's sort of left on his own. And, you know, it, it, it's kind of what are people doing so people are still kind of going into work and he works for an insurance company and he's answering the phones and uh, as you may have seen in the trailer people are calling up asking about you know disaster insurance and Armageddon <laughs> policies and he's saying well yes but the policy you know the costs are high um, uh, <laughs> which if you think about it is really weird um, and and at the same time he's kind of you know trying to figure out something to do and people are, are reacting in all sorts of different ways some people are you know, running around like mad Egypts. Uh, people are are hiring hitmen to kill them because they can't bear the uncertainty, the uncertain, the certainty rather of facing death in a number of weeks. So they'd rather face the uncertainty of facing death at any moment. So this is a certain death asteroid. It's this is a certain death, killers. absolutely planet killer. Everybody's gone. Goodbye. Thank you for playing. All right. Okay. Yeah. And, and Steve Carell then teams up with Kira Knightley to stop it. Kira Knightley lives downstairs. <laughs> <laughs> yes, they. Yeah, yeah spoiler. Now, uh, Kira Knightley lives downstairs. Uh, she's very upset because she's missed the last flight home to England, and uh, and they become sort of tentatively friends, I guess, um, and and sort of go off looking for Steve Carell's lost love, um, uh, about a third of the way into the movie. And I don't know. It's 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 really emotional. It's very smart, just because it. it it kind of feels, you know, as bizarre and strange and and crazy as human beings are faced with, you know, something so awful. Is this a bit of a trend now? This comedy's about the end of the world. 
Is it because there's one there's one going into production, isn't there? There is. I think that uh, one's a very different one. That's more like uh, Apocalypse is in the Devil. I okay. think uh, the the J. Jay Baruchel and Seth Rogen yeah right. this, is, uh, this is a film called The End of the World which is uh, currently shooting and stars uh, Jonah Hill Seth Rogen Emma Watson James Franco as mm. themselves uh, having a party uh, in the, the Hollywood world. mansion yeah. while The End of the World goes on outside mm. um I mean, is he saying, you know, is he saying something, is there something pertinent about our times? About I think the, it does. About yeah, the I think cultural, it does, absolutely, you know, yeah. uh, About the zeitgeist, if I may use the word. You may. Uh, the, the, <laughs> the, the, this kind of, because it's not just comedies as well. There seem to be, you know, all these takes on the end of the world. There was another Earth, which was... Well, I think was, we know how it's, go- how it's going, I guess. Melancholia, and then yeah. Melancholia, Abel yeah. Ferrara mm. is making a film, piece made a film yeah. with Willem Dafoe, uh, called Last Days of the Earth, and... Mm. Uh, yeah, seems seems to be on people's mind, and and, and a lot of it as well uh, are uh, planets and comets mm. smashing into the, into the Earth. And my theory, and I don't know whether I've expanded this in the podcast before. Apologies if I have. My theory is that this is actually happening, and this is the the government's way of preparing us to cope when the news actually breaks. Well, that's oh, a massive lo-fi well, I, indie romance. I'll be honest. I hope I, I cope as well as Steve Carell does because I thought he was. Utterly flawless Does in this film. Does he cope by essentially being Steve Carell and being uh, he, awesome? He, uh, he is awesome, absolutely. He he doesn't cope by being sort of Brick Tamlin Steve Carell uh, no, or true. The Office Steve Carell. Uh, I think he copes uh, by being, you know, lovely, delightful, low-key Steve Movie Carell. Steve Carell. Uh, yeah, I Little guess Miss so. Sunshine, Steve Carell. Yeah, um, yes, yeah, something closer to Little Miss Sunshine, <clears throat> Steve Carell, but perhaps a little bit less morose. Uh, than that even who's more surprising in the film Knightley or Carell uh, Keira Knightley I thought was good but she's got a little bit of an edge of that manic pixie dream girl character to her but, um, I mean who's further away from their sort of traditional kind of if, if they have a traditional ballpark um, to be honest I think that neither of them's massively stretched in that sense they're both very very good though um, but I and, and also I should mention the supporting cast keeps throwing up Really, really good performers. I'm not even going to mention who's going to who's going to turn up. But every every time you know they'll I don't know pull into a, a service station at the side of the road and there'll be you Johnny know, Depp interesting things happen happening there. Not Johnny Depp, but really just good comedy faces and okay. names that you'll know. Uh, the one thing I have, uh, the one thing I, that, that worries me about this movie is uh, as as good as you make it sound, isn't it? innately depressing just by its very nature I mean not not to I haven't seen the film I don't want to necessarily go into spoiler territory but it's, it, this doesn't sound like the sort of film where Steve Carell is suddenly going to strap on a rocket pack and, <laughs> and divert the asteroid using his bare hands it, um, uh, I don't want to get into spoiler territory either uh, I didn't come out depressed I came out wanting to hug people a little bit. It's a little bit like that. Like Magic Mike. And uh, yeah. Well, that was maybe not <laughs> hugging. Anyway. Um, <laughs> oh my word! This is an <laughs> NC17 rated podcast, and we're moving straight on. What I just meant, you know. Yes. Uh, we so would you describe party it? handshake? Uh, would you describe it as <laughs> what? Would you describe it as mellow collier? <laughs> <laughs> That's when we're doing that one all day. Um, I, I kind of would, actually. Honestly, I, I came out of this with a friend who immediately called up her best friend who she'd had a, an argument with several weeks before and hadn't t- spoken to since, and they made up and are speaking again, and it was all because of this oh, film. That is beautiful. Isn't that gorgeous? That so go and see it and, and you know forget all your old vendettas. Also out this week it's a decent Willem Dafoe thriller The Hunter there's two anthology films Seven Days and a Half Anna which features a segment directed by Benicio Del Toro no less and there's also The you. Players <laughs> Flip you I flip you for real uh, and The Players which marks the first time we'll have seen Sean de Chardin do you have an impression of Sean de Chardin Dan do you want to share with us yes 
that's brilliant yeah. that's really good uh, so we're going to be the first time we've seen him on the big screen since he won the Oscar for The Artist uh, so there you go you can watch that and then there's uh, Katy Perry Part of Me the uh, 3D concert film about the singer which I guess essentially is Magic Mike for blokes uh, and that is is well it, it, it exists in 3D in 3D uh, don't forget to join us next week for more geek related film fun uh, but right now all that remains for us is to thank you for listening and say goodbye to Helen goodbye say goodbye to Dan farewell say goodbye to Phil ciao and goodbye from me goodbye